Hi everyone, welcome back to the Healing Series with Amira. Today I'm especially excited because I have a guest. Her name is Maimuna of Muna Empire. If you're really big on fish, you will know her. <laughs> we actually met based off of that. I remember that you, I don't know if you remember, that you sent me a pack of um, smoked fish, I think it was. And you probably didn't know this at the time, but I don't like fish because of the taste. But this was seasoned. Yeah. So it was like spiced and seasoned. And I'd never had that before. And I actually got around to eating it and I actually enjoyed it. Well, it didn't taste like fish. It was just really well seasoned. So yeah, that was how I guess our journey started. And we've gone on to build a social media friendship. Yeah. Uh, really what inspired me and led me to inviting you onto today's episode was just following your journey. Maimuna recently lost her husband. She's a widow and she's taken to Instagram journaling where she shares her innermost thoughts and feelings. She shares the experiences. And I think what was eye-opening for me was just seeing the cultural nuances that are still at play today in 2023 <laughs> um, and just seeing you know her resilience her faith and her hope it's just been really inspiring and I really look forward to you you know sharing your Thank journey you. with us today Thank so you. I'll hand over to you to introduce yourself. Thank you so much for having me on the healing series you know this is um, a beautiful project that you're doing and I'm happy that you have a divine calling for it. I pray that God see you through it. Amen. Thank um, you. I just recently lost my husband just uh, just five months ago and it has not been an easy journey. It's not that he was sick or uh, down. It's just something that just happened within a few days and then he was taken to the hospital. Just a little fever and then he was taken to the hospital and the journey started from there. A hospital that we thought we were going for just two, three days, it ended up becoming a hospital that we spent almost a month in ICU. To make it very clear, he had complications with diabetic and hypertension. So those were things that, you know, didn't meet up at the right time and he went into diabetic coma and uh, we transferred to the ICU. And that was where my journey of pain started. I remember the day we went to the ICU. Some of his organs have started shutting down. And we have to take him to uh, another hospital where they do a kidney dialysis. We went and the money was in millions. I could not afford it. So I had to bring him back to the hospital where we were. And the ICU where we were, they, they tried for me. They tried so much. They pump his system and make sure that they stabilize him and the system pick up. And the funny part of it is that even within the coma, there were days he, his eyes were open. And when I enter, I'm like, Daddy, because almost everybody called him Daddy. I'm like, Daddy, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't say a word. But they were excitement moments for me, you know. And um, that went on for days to weeks and almost a month. And 
that was where I started noticing the uh, conspiracy of family members, especially in-laws. That was uh, when I realized that there was selfish interest in what was happening rather than focusing on the healing of my husband. I noticed that money was generally most of the problem because uh, they, they, they were more concerned of the money that was coming in. This is the man that was in the coma and every three days I was paying 200000 for his hospital bed. And the days the situations are worse, I could pay as much as 150 just a day in his drugs. And nobody cares to see how much are you paying for this? How is this? But instead, we are more concerned about the money that was coming in. And you can imagine you're in the hospital. All you care is for you to see your husband doing fine and okay. And they are sending a, a teenager to you to tell you that every money that comes, you should give the, their account number and not yours who is sleeping in the hospital. And that gives me more faith and more well, I see more strength to fight to see that my husband was well. I want him to come out. I actually see that this is what his family care of, care about than his wellness, you know. And people really stood for me. Family and friends stood for me. You know, I had people, people were just there for me. And to say that sometimes when I look at the situation backward and I'm like, I don't even have reasons to cry or not to be grateful to God because he turned everything they did for my favor. So I have no reason whatsoever to even feel bad. I remember in the hospital, in the ICU, as an individual, you are, uh, as a patient relative, you are not allowed to sleep. But I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave. Whenever I step down, I have anxiety and panic attack. Like, I wasn't feeling okay. I knew I, can't, I couldn't go fast. So I was always by. So everybody that comes within that time knows me. Those places is desire. I was like that lady there, you know. The doctors knows me. Everybody know me. So there's a, a stretcher where I sleep. The day I'm fortunate and they allow me to sleep on it. That stretcher is what they take. Uh, sometimes they take dead bodies on it, and sometimes they take their patients for emergency. But it was real for dead body. It was maybe uh, uh, an emergency death that just happened, and they are taking them to the car for. The more, more yeah, or to be buried immediately. I mean, once they take out the dead body and they bring it back, the next minute I take my wrapper, I put there, and I lay on the bed, not minding who just passed on or what was it, because those, those were the only options I had. And outside, I sleep outside. I sleep outside on a metal chair, and on that metal chair is a tent outside nobody last two weeks the weather was so hot and i was like okay um and I, my thoughts keep coming back and i was like okay my house is well secured and uh, fenced why can't i sleep outside if i could sleep outside in a hospital in a tent why am i not comfortable to sleep out and that was when it dawned on me that you don't know what you can do until you find yourself in a situation, you know. And when you find yourself in that situation, that is where you know that you have the strength to be able to do that. But because now I'm in my comfort zone, I'm not in a situation. So I didn't feel the necessity to go outside to go and sleep out there because I was hot. It's something I could manage. But that was 
that nonchalant, you know. I sleep like, I sleep like the security. The security are passing on bed alone because all the patients go back home or go back to the ward. And to think that after all these tries and everything, you come back and people still sit down in clusters to say that um, you killed your husband. That is the most cruel and most inhuman allegation somebody can say against you. And you know, the funny part of it is that there are people that don't even live with you. But there are people that you have lived with them and thought as if they loved you or you think they love you. And this is where I, I come to, to realize that um, there are reasons that make in-laws to treat you the way they treat you. One, either because um, they never liked you before when they meet you, they never liked you and they will show you. And some, they never liked you, but they never show you that they didn't like you. Maybe your husband was protecting you and they hid it until when he was not there and then the real them comes out. And sometimes maybe your spouse sold you out, you know, and that's why it's very important when you have issues with your spouse, you are very careful of what you say out there to your in-laws about your spouse. And again, it may be you because you have to check yourself as an individual because sometimes we, you may think people are your problem. Sometimes people are not your problem. You also are the problem. You have to check. And I saw that and I realized all these things. I didn't have issue with any of them. I never fight with any of them. I never like exchange word with any of them. And where were all these things coming from? And I noticed all was for financial gain. And um, to notice, to feel that all they wanted, they were all about the money, that's what is more painful because it's something that was shown to my face and said to my face, you know. The money is coming, they're asking you how are you spending the money. They are telling you that uh, money should not come into your account. Money should go to uh, your daughter's, your stepdaughter's account. You know, it's it's painful. And something I've never discussed in my platform is to show people that my children are not my children. I never see them like my children. My children, you know. These are children I took care of. These are children I loved. These are children, you know. I raised them and then... I nurture them and then you come to notice that um, people are sitting down speaking ill about you and none of these children can say this is a lie. No, it's not true. Nobody comes to your defense. No, but yeah, but they will come behind you and said, we are sorry about what happened. We know it's not okay, but you know, we cannot talk back at them. Like to me, that is the highest betrayer you can do to me. I, I, I appreciate a real enemy who comes face to face. I show you that, yes, they hate you. Then someone who claim to love you, but behind you, they cannot defend you. I have issues with that. And I thank God that God was so faithful, has been faithful to me, even from the hospital up to the time that we got home. I remember the day he gave up. It was 1st November and I was downstairs. Normally what I do, Amira, in the morning, I, I, I wake up as early as uh, 4 a.m. I go to the public toilet to take my bath. Yeah. And when I finish, I come to the car, I change or go to wash my clothes if I have to. And then pick my items and the items that other um, patient relatives leave for me to take to give when their own, when, yeah. when their own patients need, you know, and 
I pick them and I take up. And I remember that day I was just standing down. I was I just finished dressing. And then when I sit down there, I don't leave till the next day. And all of you will go home and still leave me there. So I wake up around 11. I will start praying till maybe 3 a.m. I then sleep maybe for just one hour. So my eyes were swollen. I was looking depressed and others, but I just felt I wanted God to hear me. And luckily for me, Nathaniel Basse was having, um, was it the hallelujah, hallelujah challenge? It wasn't custom because sometimes he wasn't having network or sometimes he was on transit like that. But I would join in and then I would praise God and then pray and, you know. And uh, one of the songs he kept giving was this Adonai song from the sunset to the morning from the, to the sunset. You know, and I didn't know it was a message he was giving me. He was telling me, no matter the situation, from the morning to the evening, I'm still the same. And yes, he is still the same until tomorrow. And um, when I finish 3 a.m., I'll sleep for one hour, then three to four, then four go to public toilet so that I'll bath before people start coming because I see you don't have patient relatives. And then when I'm done, I come back, I sit down and the whole thing continues. And that was how I stayed for almost a month there. I see you never calls you inside to come and check your patient or anything. They take care of you. I had, uh, my husband got one of the best treatments in Sally and I want to appreciate them for that. And they don't call you in. They only ask you for what they need. They say, when I want to go in to see him or to pray with him, I go in to do money devotion and night devotion with him. Every day, that was what I do. So once it was time for me to enter, they don't deny me answers. I remember they said, Mommy, they are calling you upstairs. I was by the car trying to change and picking his uh, diapers, picking his uh, tissue and hand gloves. And I just look at my younger brother and I said, take these things. And I told him, I said, um, go to the top area, pick my clothes and everything, set the car. They were looking at me like they just called you to come. Yeah. I don't know what happened, but I knew that God has showed me three days before then, clearly. But you know when it is your loved one, you're always in denial. You don't want to be. Yeah. God showed me. Yeah. Other patients that have been coming, that's how I've been seeing them calling them in so my own case now it, it has landed so when it was like an episode playing now so when he, they said i knew what has happened i see you don't call you in and so i said okay when i got up they have to wear their ic protective clothes before i enter and she said no mommy just come in i just smiled and normally every day when i enter the world the first thing i do i check his vitals I became a Google doctor because every day I check the Google, I say, what is the average pulse of a human being? What is the average pulse at beat of an adult, you know? So most every day I enter, the first thing I check is the uh, monitoring machine to be sure that he's okay. And once I see the vitals are okay, then I go to him, we do the money devotion, I hold him, I do my own belief ways and I come out. And once I entered, and the day previous, the day before, he had had a trisocomy so that they could remove the equipment from his mouth and then he could not breathe from the, from the neck. And he was peaceful when I entered that Monday in the afternoon. He was so peaceful. The vatas were normal. Everything was okay. So I had peace. If he had died earlier before, it would have been worse for me. 
But I think God prepared me before then and then he gave me peace. And you know, I was just studying the, the book of John and 15 thereabout. And he talked about when Jesus said he was going to leave and send a helper to us and a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And immediately I said, yes, that was Jesus then. Because he actually sent that helper and a comforter to me. When I entered the ICU, I checked and I saw parallel, parallel. One thing I noticed that I cannot forget was I noticed all the male nurses were stationed because they knew how close I was to my husband. They knew how I was standing by. So they felt the place was going to be crazy, you know. You were about to have a meltdown. Yeah, and what I did was I knelt down. And okay, before then, when I entered and uh, I saw them performing the CRP on him, and um, when my husband saw me or he had my voice, he picked up again. And when he picked up, and the doctor said, yes, let's go to the side, I promise. And they keep doing, they keep doing, he didn't. He didn't respond. And he, it dropped back again. And I went to his leg, I held his leg, and I said to him, you can go, I rest, I'm okay and I'll be okay. And I knelt down in the ICU. I didn't know if it was clean or not. I knew that I knelt down on the floor. And I said, God, thank you for this visitation of the new month. Thank you for what you have done. And whatever you have done is perfect for me. And I think that is the day I had strength I didn't cry. Or you will see other people shouting, crying, really? which is normal with when you lose somebody. I didn't cry. The nurses were dumbfounded. You know, everybody was standing, waiting to grab me. I was okay. And I was standing. I was even helping them to dress him. And they asked me for permission to remove the, the machines. And I said, can they hold it on a little while? Maybe he may pick up. But it was good, it was good, it was good. And yes, I told them they could remove the machines. And they removed the machines. We wrapped him. I even helped them to dress him. I told them I needed him to be in good clothes, to be in a good wrapping sheet. They wrapped him, and I escorted him to the mortuary. And I, I entered. I told the I said, this is my husband, take care of him for me. And he took me to the two rooms they have. They said, this is where they're going to keep him until he's been embalmed. And the other room, once he's embalmed, he will now be shipped to the next room. And I said, okay. And when I opened, they opened the next room. It was different dead bodies from different places. And this shows you that is the end of life and that is when i turn and i look at all the sufferings my husband had gone through and look at him today just in a freezer and that was when i was just able to shout jesus and i don't think i was even able to cry i think this is the first time i'll be able to actually cry and cry well 
I'm a private person, so I have little of where I'm able to, to talk or share things. And um, journaling on my Instagram page has helped me. And most times you notice I share them maybe two, twelve, one. Yes, and those are hours. periods yeah. I can sleep. All those are periods, the thoughts are coming in. And I'm like, okay, let me just put it down. And that is helping my healing process. Am I healed? I'm not healed. But I'm working towards it every day, you know. And to think that uh, my husband, that Amira, from the mortuary to every bill to his grave, digging to his um to to the marble that was even used to put his name to the laborers pavement and everything. I saw the casket, which I asked his friends to help me. I gave him. I gave them specification of the quality of casket I wanted and uh, to say that the family stood for me there, his family friend, they paid that for me and the ambulance, they paid that for me. And uh, he said, wherever the people I said, they picked something else. And he looked at them and said, do you want Mrs. Desire to kill me for this <laughs> casket for her husband? <laughs> and he went and picked a very beautiful quality casket. Do we say beautiful to a casket? I don't know, but today I'm saying it. <laughs> you know, a wow. quality casket, a befitting casket that I wanted for my husband. Exactly what I would have picked if I had gone myself, you know. And they brought it. And he paid for me, so there was I didn't pay that. But aside that, every other thing, Amira, I paid for it. I paid. I have receipts. I paid for it. Why? Because they felt oh, every money was coming to her. Let her pay for it. To the printing of the church service program, I paid for it. I just, I think, in hearing everything you said from the beginning up till this point, what I'm trying to make sense of is how in the midst of your pain, you're faced with other pockets of pain from systems that are supposed to be your support system. Yes. So what I'm hearing you say is that your husband was perfectly healthy and in the twinkle of an eye, you're in hospital. And what you think is going to be a short visit ends up being ICU for a whole month. Even before your husband passed, I noticed, you know, the rapport that you shared, the relationship you shared, and how you posted that so freely. And so I can understand why you couldn't bring yourself to leave the hospital. You were camping on those metal waiting chairs. That was your bedroom. The public bathrooms in the, in the hospital were now your personal bathrooms. Your car became your dressing yes. And even with all of these inconveniences, which are not an inconvenience to you at this point because you're just focused on your husband's well, recovery, you're now being faced with children that you raised telling you that any money that's being brought towards his his uh, medical bills should be given to them and Sent not their you. account yeah i find that i mean as a neutral person looking in i find that very disrespectful and so i can understand the pain that you feel it's almost as though you went through the the mourning and the grieving for one month in that hospital before right. it even started yeah. that's what i'm hearing 
And the fact that you still had time to make, you know, yourself available to help other people in the midst of your own pain. Yeah. I can I can understand the testimony you just shared of God raising helpers for you. People that just came through for you, paid the bills, people that just came through for you, handled the funeral. Yeah. Do you know what the scripture that comes to mind in hearing all of this is that God is a defender of the widows. He is. Absolutely. He is. He's a defender of the widows and he's an ever-present help. Which means whatever situation you find yourself in, it may look like everything is collapsing on you. But he's there even in those moments, those ugly, gruesome, dark moments mm-hmm. that other people uh-huh. walk away from. Uh-huh. Because I can't imagine his family not seeing the level of sacrifice. No, they didn't see that. Not seeing the love being shown, even in such a... You basically carried out your vow of for better, better for what? In sickness, in health. Like, you know, when you started talking about the, the painful process of this, I, I just kept hoping to hear a testament of God coming through in a big way. I did. And you did that. I, that's why I had to intercept because those two scriptures just kept playing in my mind that God is a defender of the widows and he's an ever-present help. The question I now have to ask you is, how are you able to, because I read your journals, I see what you write. How are you able to forgive your in-laws? How are you able to forgive your children for betraying you at a time where, you know, you would have expected them to stand to, to stand for you? I've experienced personally, you know, that family betrayal people I would have taken a, have t- taken bullets for, you know, even in their silence, because I always say there's a certain level of silence that is betrayal. Mm-hmm. So even if something is being said to slander you or you're being falsely accused of something, people that you've poured into that can vouch for your character but choose not to are basically buying into what you just expressed, mm-hmm. that it's either that they always didn't like you mm-hmm but never showed it mm. or never liked you and just did a very good job at like camouflaging it for whatever gains, personal interests, you know, whatever their selfish gains were at that time. I can, I can completely relate with that. So the pressing question on my mind is just, how are you able to forgive this? Because I see you're radiating God's glory. Nobody's going to believe what you've just shared now based off of the way you look <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being serious based off, nobody's going to believe it's only been five months yeah, it's only been- you know and that's that's also a testament of god's strength in your times of weakness so please please if you'd be, if you'd be willing to share with us and i'm also so so happy that you've been able to cry because that is also a major step in the journey of healing I'm so happy that today at least you got to just let it out. You know, and I want to say what has helped me to to is understanding the word of God and knowing that uh, no matter what man does, God is in charge of you and they cannot stop anything. And 
I want to believe what helped me is that throughout my stay in the hospital, God turned every every evil they meant for me, God turned it for my for my good. You know, I was never in shame. Wherever anything was planned, God turned it to my favor. So I think I would be ungrateful not to have the spirit of forgiveness and also to hold on to sadness and uh, to hold on to bitterness. You know, even holding on to bitterness, I'll be blocking my blessings, you know. So I have noticed that in... um, in, in the reading the scriptures that if you hold it to bitterness I'm holding on to my blessings so I let it go and I'm this kind of person I forgive you even before you come to tell me to ask me for forgiveness, forgiveness. that is me I forgive you before you ask me for forgiveness so it helps me to move on and it helps me to to see life in a different way while you're still there having sadness and um, pain I've moved on from there, you know. I, there, there are days I'm in my pains, I'm sad, I'm, I'm feeling bad. But there are days when I look up to God, I can't say, no, I, I can't, like, deny Him, you know. I can remember my husband was in the mortuary. He died on Tuesday. He was in the mortuary on Wednesday. He was buried on Thursday. By Wednesday, somebody sent out their CV to take my husband's position. Wow. A family member. And guess what God did? God turned it around. I didn't go to beg for it. I didn't go to look for it. I didn't go to ask for it. And God turned everything around. So why do I why should I keep dwelling in sadness and bitterness? If God can have mercy on us, why we you know in that first week second week third week i was bitter i won't lie to you i'm a woman and i keep asking god why and he gave me when i think in the book of revelation or roman he gave me a scripture i said you do not understand what i'm doing now and i said wow this is for me and i think i even shared it on my instagram he said you did not understand what i'm doing and i said father i understand and that was the moment I let him handle everything because he knows why he's taking me through this journey. And I've come to understand that when you are not broken, when God does not break you, the light in you cannot shine. So I said, that is my broken moment. That is my brokenness. And now it's not left for me to allow the light to shine through me. And what is the light to shine through me is forgiveness and radiating peace and love and then also helping others around you. And the help he sent to me, like a family paying for the casket and the ambulance, a family that I just met in the hospital. I don't know them from anywhere. We only met. All I do for them is to hold their, their patient pampers and other things. These people paid off 550000 naira. In today's Nigeria, yes, that is. In fact, the, the, the first money they gave me was five hundred thousand. He called the he called him and his brother called me to the car and said, "But I've, I've seen what you have been passing through here, and I've seen everything, and I know what you have been going through. And even before now, I wanted to assist you, but since this, you have a bill to clear, um, 
I'll be willing. I and my family are willing to clear for you. And those are people that they were still paying millions of naira to in hospital bill. And guess what? He went to the car. He and his brother, they called me to their car. And they gave me 500,000. Because it was his wife that was in the hospital. They gave me 500,000. And I gave it to my brother to go and pay. And while he was going, they had us murmuring. And I was like, okay, it was just remaining 50,000 because 550. And the same family called up on me and said, what is it? Yeah. I said, I'm looking for the balance of 50,000. And they said, okay. They went to their car and brought that money and gave it to me. And that was how I paid up that 550000 And I got home, and because the assistants were coming, people were, you know, they left everything. Nobody did everything. Everybody fought hand. You can imagine you're a widow. You are the one feeding the house. You're a widow inside. They are coming to ask you to give money for food, to give money for soup in 2022. And uh, this is my husband that could sacrifice so much for others. He could do so much for others. But during his time, people were not willing to do because they felt, oh, the wife was getting money, so she should use bring out the money and spend it. And I make sure that I gave him a befitting burial that I'm, I'm, I'm proud of and I give glory to God. You know, I don't want to take glory for that. And... You know, the amazing part of it is that somebody will come in and greet you for two seconds. Or, hi, yes, one minute. Oh, we came to sympathize with you. How are you doing? Sorry about your loss. Sorry, we are in the house. We are going somewhere. Amira, you will find them. Um, if you peep the window for any reason whatsoever, you will still find them in the compound, sitting in clusters for hours, just discussing about you. Yes, they only condole you for one minute. Because they just have to, or because yeah. let me just see their face that they were there. But you will find them in the compound sitting in clusters for hours discussing what I did or what I didn't do. That was the topic in the house. I think, you know, just listening to this, you know, I, I'm just even more reminded of the importance of living for God because you can never satisfy human beings. Whether you treat them with love, kindness, um, you go above and beyond for them, there's always going to be an issue. It's never, they're insatiable. So what, I, what I'm taking from this is just everything you do, you do unto God. Yeah. You know, don't expect any reward from man. Don't expect any sort of validation or applause. Um, and what you said about you're forgiving your family members, your in-laws, takes me to this scripture that talks about, you know, how you treat your enemies. Yeah, with love. Um, with love. And the, the more that you do good to them, it's like you're heaping coals of fire on their, on their heads. So a another angle that also really, really like resonates with me is that idea of God having to break you if that brokenness for your breakthrough like you said if if we don't go through these gut-wrenching obstacles or challenges how do you know that 
You know, as human beings, you need that conviction. You want to know that God is present, mm-hmm. God is real. Mm-hmm. In everything you were going through, nine out of ten times, God uses strangers to come in for me to to bless you. So your helpers were not even the people that you thought would be your helpers. Yes. They were absolute strangers. Strangers, and that just you know keys into God raising helpers for you. He always has people on a mission. Yes. Always. And that this is where, you know, even for this series, I remember when the, the instruction came from the Holy Spirit to start this podcast and to call it the healing series. And I just thought, uh, why? I haven't healed. I haven't healed. Am I in a position to come and be running, uh, you know, hosting a podcast called the healing series? And the response I got was, you will heal as you are doing it. And what that made me realize is that healing is actually a journey. And a very personal one. No one is in a position to dictate to you how you should heal or when you should heal. Uh I'm pretty sure there's some people that just feel like, why are you sharing all of this on your Instagram? Yeah. People want to dictate how it Mm -hmm. is that you should, you know, the other thing that I also get from your Instagram is how it's so important to have those memories, pictures, videos. You know, I look at them and I just think, oh gosh, this is this is incredible that you have something to hold on to. Um, but more importantly, it's the aspect of obedience. Listening to God's voice, if he's telling you, I'm pretty sure the man said, He's been wanting to assist you before now, which means it was already laid in his heart by the Holy Spirit Spirit to assist. And now he's obeyed. So had he not done that, your testimony would not be complete. It wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be able to share it. So major takeaway for me here, and I'm so happy that you shared this, is just to do things for God. You know, not expecting... um, any reward from men Mm -hmm. but just trusting in him even in the midst of your storms that he will come through for you he will raise helpers for you and there's something you said that about you know if you don't forgive despite how you know gracious God has been to you you would be ungrateful so I think that's also something because forgiveness is something that I've been struggling with um, as well and I've just understood this now as we've spoken that the fact that God is merciful towards us he's so gracious towards Mm -hmm. us we also have a responsibility to extend that same grace to other people nobody is perfect it's in the Lord's prayer uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass you know there's a there's a condition attached to that forgiveness I'm not perfect, yet God forgives me every day. So if if the enemy uses somebody to offend me, I have a responsibility because of the forgiveness God has given me to also forgive and move on. So thank you so, so much for that. Thank you. I don't think, I think you were just sharing, but you didn't realize all the the gems you were dropping for us. Yeah, I, I thought there's something I didn't say, you know, um, I was sharing with one of the uh, one of the, a pastor, and I told him what I went through and what they did, and how they came and packed all the cars and all the properties. And he said to me, uh, 
go to court. And I said, I'm not going to court. These are cars I drive and then somebody is telling me that uh, I'm a stranger for those things to be packed into my house. They came, you know, telling you. The rightfully Yes. And then coming to tell you that uh, the car is too big for you to drive, that you, you are not supposed to drive it. They, they're showing you they have what to do with it, not even you. And, you know, that makes you to, that makes me to understand that in life as a woman, try to have your own. Oh, I'm trying to, to be empowered and try to focus on yours. Now, if I didn't have my own or have where to stay, I think I would have been a mess. And the one thing I've told God is I don't want to be a widow to be pitied. I don't want to be a widow that uh, will be symbolized with um, begging. I don't want to be a widow that will dwell in her pain all the days of her life. So let the grace of God shine on me. <laughs> and that is why I have a YouTube channel, which I, I call it um, Widowhood in Grace. And that is it. I am a widow, but I'm not a widow to be, you know, to, to dwell in pain, to, you know, to hold on to it and make myself look like a symbol of pity. No, and God's grace has been sufficient. Oh, hallelujah. I'm so, so, thank you so much, Mimuna. Thank you so, so much. It's so It's so beautiful to see, I mean, even in the pain, and this is one of the beautiful things about just dwelling in Christ and having a relationship with Him, that even in such a horrible, horrible experience of losing your life partner, you know, that he's able to give you something beautiful on the other end. He, he's been able to birth a purpose in you. You know, you're changing the narrative around what it means to go through these cultural um, beliefs, about, beliefs widow about widows and what they're subjected to by their in-laws and things like that. And given you don't even know how many other women are going to listen to this and just be inspired to stand up you know, just seeing you hold on to God, you are an embodiment of um, God being your refuge he is. and your shield. He is. Um, it's incredible. Thank he you so is. much for sharing Thank this. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So I have just one last question. Um, and I usually ask for this just so that it gives people something to meditate on. Um, is there any song that you like to worship with, you know, or a scripture that you like to pray with whenever you get like overwhelmed? Because yes, I can see that you're healing, but that pain is still there. It is. Seeing you cry, hearing how your voice sort of, you know, uh, shakes every now and then, seeing how you try to pull yourself together. I can see that truly it is God's comfort, you know? He said, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. So I can see his comfort is around you, but the very human feelings are still present. So what do you use to encourage yourself or what song or what scripture? 27. Okay. We said he's my refuge. Fantastic. Yes. And um, when I read through it, I... I just hand it over to him. And one thing that I've come to understand is, I want to say I was lucky that even in my pain, I was hearing God. Amazing. 
because some people in their pain they don't hear God again they shut they shut down. down I was hearing God and God helped me and I was hearing him step by step everything he asked me to do was exactly what I did um he asked me to be quiet and still when my husband died exactly what I did up to tomorrow you cannot get what I said when he died and up to except today that I'm able to speak to you and except the journals I drop on my Instagram when I'm depressed I'm lonely I'm alone you know I type them down aside that the word of God generally has been my peace and the Holy Spirit has been strongly present in me and that has helped me a lot Wow, thank you so much. Thank you so so much. I pray that the Lord continues to comfort you in the way that only he can. And please don't stop the journaling because you have no idea how many people you're inspiring and encouraging. Um and I'll be sure to check out your YouTube page as well. I didn't know about that, but yeah, very well done. Thank you.